My name is Ashley, and this is Let's Talk Dispatch. I do. <laughs> You're going to do it. Do it really well. And I believe the world needs more dispatchers. years that I'm not working Fourth of July. Fourth of July. So on this show, with the help of my guests, we will educate, empower, and support the heroes behind the headset. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode here on Let's Talk Dispatch with me, Ashley, the Raspy Dispatcher. Um, You know, I'm recording this the week of September 11th, and I'm sure everyone can remember what they were doing, where they were the day the towers were hit. Um, You know, I was actually in middle school, and I was a commuter student, so... Uh, We would get up extra early to be able to be to school on time. And I remember watching that second plane hit the towers live on TV. Um, And I think as a kid, you you don't really understand the the severity of what you're watching. But now as an adult and a dispatcher, looking back on that major incident in American history, and when I think about critical incidents – in general, um, my mind goes to, you know, what the dispatchers are experiencing in the very first moments that that critical incident is being reported. Because what is forgotten, I think, quite often is that someone has to tell someone else it's happening, right? And typically, the dispatcher is the person who's getting those first initial calls, whether it's a 911 call coming in, or um, an officer or a unit coming up on the air, um, bringing that incident to the forefront. Um, So today I'm joined by Jennifer Prince, whose two worlds collided in regards to being a dispatcher and dealing with critical incidents when the high school she went to actually experienced a school shooting. Um, And after that experience, Jennifer's dedicated um, her time to telling their stories and helping dispatchers uh, learn to deal with major incidents like school shootings. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, so just tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, who you are and and what what you've been doing for the dispatch world. Um, well, I, I like to consider myself kind of an OG dispatcher. Um, <laughs> I've been doing it for 23 years. Wow. Uh, it was actually brought to my attention the other night at work in this job for one year longer than one of my officers has actually been alive at my new agency. <laughs> um, so I've, I've kind of been through it all, you know, done all the training. And um, I actually did almost 20 years with my first agency, retired. Um, stayed retired for about a year and a half and then felt like a piece of me was missing. So (laughs) I just went back to dispatching and just hit my one year mark with my newer agency. Um, Welcome back. Thanks. It really has kind of given me a new zest for dispatching in general. And Mm -hmm. I think I've kind of, after 23 years, really found the part of dispatch that I am passionate about when it happens to be Mm -hmm. active shooters, school shooting, school violence, as it relates to dispatch. Mm. 
You know, and it's funny because I, again, like when I was growing up, you know, Columbine was um, kind of wild. Like the thought that it occurred, which is so hard to, for people to wrap their minds around. Right. But now, you know, now, you know, school shootings and uh, things of that nature are almost commonplace. Mm -hmm. You know, it's sad to say it's, it's more, it's commonplace. It's like, Oh, another one, you know, and two or three days without hearing. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about people having bulletproof backpacks and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, kids learning how to respond during active shooting drills. And um, one of the big things as dispatchers is how do we handle those type of calls when they come in? Um, Because it's, I feel like these major incidents, it's like a lot of it's, you can only train or prepare, you know, so much, you know, and then all you're in it. And especially at these smaller agencies where it's just you and one other person in the room mm-hmm. trying to field all this, these things happening. Right. It's, it's challenging. Well, and I think a lot of us, even when we think that we're prepared, we train, mm-hmm. we think that we're, our skill level is at a certain, a certain degree. We're confident in our skills. That's great. But myself mm-hmm. included, while I was training for school shootings and violence, school violence, I still in my mind thought, it would happen at another school in my county. I never dreamed mm-hmm. that it would be my school. Mm-hmm. It just so happened that 47 days before the Oxford shooting, my new agency had sent me to an active shooter conference. And mm-hmm. at that conference, I had the chance to link up with Kathy Liriano from Parkland, who handled the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooting. Um, and a gentleman mm-hmm. named Wayne Freeman, who was a godsend to me, he works with South Carolina Homeland Security Law Enforcement Division. And Mm -hmm. those were the two speakers. And even after 20 plus years of dispatching, in their one training session, I took nine and a half pages of handwritten notes, not knowing 47 days later, it would be me. Yeah. So, so tell, tell me a little bit about, you know, your experience with this. Um, You, you didn't dispatch the incident specifically, but it was the school, literally your high school that you went to, your hometown. Yes. Um, tell me a little bit about that experience. Um, well, I I was a hometown girl. I grew up in the same town. My family had lived there since the 1800s. Um, my dad went to the high school, his father before him. My mother worked at the high school as a secretary to the principal. My entire family went there. So Oxford is a pretty small town and Most of the families, if you're not related, you've known each other since you were little. I can tell you who ate paste in the first grade out of my graduating (laughs) class. That's just the type of community that it was. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I worked for um, the Oakland County Sheriff's Department. That's where I retired from, and that was the responding agency. Um, So I had Mm -hmm. teachers at the high school who were friends of mine. I knew the families of the kids that uh, people my age had kids that are in the high school, people that I worked with at the sheriff's office and had kids in at that high school. So um, like I said, I had already retired from that agency when the call came in about a year and a half. Um, and um, my first thought went to my responders 
Um, and of course, once you start hearing things on the news and seeing it on Facebook, we all know how reliable Facebook news is. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I started reaching out saying, hey, this is what I'm hearing. Is this happening? And it, it was pretty terrifying. And when it when it dawned on the accounts, I was hearing that, in fact, it was an active shooter. And at first, you know, the we had reports of four deceased. We didn't know who we didn't know. You know, and then the number of injured kept rising, and it, it was pretty terrifying. Mm. As and I imagine, it was. <laughs> yeah, and I imagine, especially it being the agency that you just retired from, mm-hmm. being the agency that is going out, and it's your people, right? It's your people Absolutely. who are dealing with it. In Absolutely. addition to you know your community that you grew up in, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure there's a little. Uh, a level of, I don't know what the right word is, uh, guilt or, um, you know, missing out or like this, this need to be there and you can't be there anymore because you're no longer a part of that agency. How did you kind of work through that? Before we continue, we wanted to take a moment to thank our partners at Prepared. You can learn more about the awesome support and technology Prepared provides to first responders by heading to prepared911.com. Partners like Prepared help to continue our mission of supporting, empowering, and educating the heroes under the headset. You can learn more about our resources and partnerships by heading to theraspydispatcher.com. Now let's get back to the show. Uh, I'm still working through that. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I still struggle with the fact that if anyone was going to handle the emotional side and the mental hardships that went along with handling a school shooting, I still to this day felt like, make it be me. Mm-hmm. Don't put that on my other people. I can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, I struggled with not being, feeling like I couldn't protect my responders that were in the school because just mm-hmm. like, you know, you get a mama bear mentality when it comes to your people. And a lot of times you say my depths, my officers, and you kind of think, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going to wrap them in the protection of me dispatching. And when they yeah. go into situations like that, and especially when I'm not, my people were in a very dangerous situation and I could do mm-hmm. nothing to change it. Mm-hmm. So and- I still struggle I, I can only imagine. I mean, I went from a, a relatively larger agency to a smaller agency um, where now I do have those personal relationships with my officers. Whereas before the agency was just too big, unless you worked in the area of the comm center, right. I didn't really know you outside your identifier. Right. But now I send folks to calls and I, it just hits a little differently when it's it's a high priority call because, you know, I know officers so and so now. I you know, they come in, they bring me coffee, they come in, they tell me about their families and their, you right. know, kids, and so now they're going into uh, now I'm dispatching with a little more heart than mm-hmm. maybe I had in the past because they they're now a person rather than an ident- an identifier, you know. Right. And it's no knock to the other dispatchers that you work with, but I always, I always felt when a, when a hot call came in and you heard other people say, Oh, I'm glad I wasn't working. I was the opposite. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be me because I knew the level of service that my depths were going to get 
if I was at the radio. I knew my skill set. I knew what I could do, what I couldn't do. And, and I knew exactly I, I had control, as much control mm-hmm. as you're going to have over a, a mass casualty incident, of course. Um, but the I mean, the agency that I came from, Oakland, um, they had 1,200 deputies. We had around 80 dispatchers. It was the third largest agency in the state of Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. So I was we had areas that were very violent. So it took a lot to spike my adrenaline. We had shootings Mm -hmm. regularly, chases, stabbings, taser deployments constantly. So I felt like in order to get the adrenaline spike out of me, it had to be something major. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so it, I felt like it, it would take a lot to shake me and Mm -hmm. things that you, you would retell a story and someone would be like, oh my gosh, I can't, how did you handle that? And you're like, it was a Tuesday. I handled it like yeah. I handled it on Monday. But this mm-hmm. this incident, I still have moments where I just sit down and it's overwhelming to think about. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that's one thing when people are considering this line of work. You know, um, you know, my last agency was the same. It was high priorities. Um, if it wasn't a shooting up north, it was a shooting down south, you know, like we were always dealing with some type of pursuit, priority, weapons call, right. violent call, you know, that was kind of the norm. So, you know, I think when folks are considering these agencies where they want to work, that's something to consider as well. Mm-hmm. If you want to be in the mud every shift, you know, um, you're going to consider that with that agency that you're applying for. Right. If you want something that's a little more uh, low key, you know, not as high priority, you're going to want to look and see where the agencies are, are located that you're applying mm-hmm. for. Right. Um, because I think you're right. I think there are some dispatchers who want to work those calls and want to be involved in those high priority mm-hmm. situations as frequently as they can. And then there are some that are like, I'm okay. <laughs> you know, I can do it when I need to, but I would rather not have to every other call be like that. I often say that I crave the chaos. I, I love the feeling where you are right on the razor's edge between in control and out of control. And I feel like mm-hmm. a part of that is because I feel like at that moment, I know that I'm doing something not even every dispatcher can do. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm firing on all cylinders kind of when you're pushed to your max. Um, mm-hmm. But when incidents like this happen, I think it made me reevaluate a lot of the training that we've gotten as dispatchers when, when we're told, relax, it's not your emergency, or it's not mm-hmm. an emergency until you pick up the phone, or we, we pressure new dispatchers, especially to compartmentalize stress and to mm-hmm. detach the human quality the minute they walk in the door. This incident has made me realize, again, after 23 years of doing the job, that it's essential that you embrace the emotions that are involved. Not obviously at the time that you're handling it, but it will cripple you if you just continue to keep it compartmentalized. You have to allow yourself to feel the incident and Mm -hmm. to talk about it. And the difference is feel it in a healthy way as opposed to Mm -hmm. just chalk it up to not my emergency, make a joke about it as we often do with our inappropriate coping mechanisms. Um, <laughs> you know, I, we, 
we teach people to push it down, push it down, push it down. Don't address how it made you feel. And now mm-hmm. I'm on a mission to say, no, you need to let yourself feel it. But this is a healthy way to do that. Exactly. And I think that's, I think we're at a place, we're, we're getting to a place where we are talking about, you know, self-care and dispatching more and more and self-care and first response in general, right? Like, I think I've been involved in more debriefs than, you know, some of my OG dispatchers have been in 20 years versus the five years that I've worked in dispatch because of the culture shift that's happening with first responder field and acknowledging the fact that if I'm responding out to a school shooting as a dispatcher or as an officer, an EMT, so on and so forth, and I'm seeing, you know, young children deceased, like that's weighing on me. It does not, I'm not going to not do my job, but it's in my head. You know what I mean? And we need to acknowledge and create pathways and um, safe spaces for all of us to be able to dump that somewhere Mm -hmm. or else we're not going to be able to handle the next incident. A lot of departments even, um, not by any malicious intent, tend to exclude dispatch from debriefing because a Mm -hmm. lot of people think, well, dispatch didn't have to see the end result of the incident. They just had to take the phone call. And now we're seeing mm-hmm. with a number of dispatchers leaving after incidents like this and, and showing signs of PTSD, that's not the case. Um, mm-hmm. I had an officer killed in the line of duty. We had a debriefing. All of the deputies and officers and firefighters that attended the debriefing were allowed to do so. I'm the one who actually took the call for the officer who was killed I was told that if I wanted to attend the debriefing, I needed to take vacation time to do it. Wow. Thankfully, we're seeing that mentality shift now and people are starting to Mm -hmm. acknowledge the fact that listening to someone scream on the phone during what is quite possibly the worst moment of their life, a life-altering event, is as traumatic as having to see it in person. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and it can be so I I took a call this week. It was, you know, we don't do medical. We transfer to medical, but um, non-breathers we go out for um, whoever can get their first type of type of deal, which is different from my previous agency. If it was medical, anything, we didn't go because we didn't have enough resources, really. Mm -hmm. Um, But in this new agency, we do go. And so once I heard that it was a non-breather, you know, I drop our call, we start rolling, but I'm listening to fire, give this individual instructions on CPR mm-hmm. um, to basically save the, their partner's life, you yeah. know, and it's, it's tough. It's, it's tough to listen to things like that. Even something so simple as that, like heart problem, like nothing dramatic in the sense that, you know, a major critical incident, but you know, you're listening to someone lose something, a big part of themselves, and it's tough. Yeah, that's still trauma that you have a front row seat to. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just thankful that a lot of agencies now are acknowledging the fact that different doesn't mean non-existent. Our trauma is different from the, the responders in the field, but we still mm-hmm. experience trauma. 
So totally. You're you're almost totally. eavesdropping on a very personal moment and you feel like a trespasser. But you know, and and we go into this career not for the money, not for the fame, clearly, but because clearly. we want to help people. And when mm-hmm. you have a, a non-breather and you've utilized every tool in, in your dispatch toolkit and you, there's mm-hmm. nothing more you can do but be there and be a human and be mm-hmm. compassionate to your caller, that's going to leave a lasting effect on you. Yeah. Totally. So when um, when you first started hearing that the active shooter incident was occurring at your your school, what was kind of the first first moments or the first steps that you took to be able to help or support or? Well, the the first thing that I did is what every first responder hates is I started texting people that I knew would be involved. Just to verify that it in fact was happening. I was that person. Um, Mm -hmm. But then almost immediately, my second call was to Wayne Freeman, who I had connected with at that conference because I thought he was such a dynamic speaker and he radiated knowledge on the topic. And I Mm -hmm. felt instantly like I was in a, a canoe in the middle of the river and I didn't know which way to go. I didn't I didn't know how to process the fact that this was really happening to my school, to my agency, to my people. Mm-hmm. I instantly reached out to him and I said, hey, this is happening. I was in your conference 47 days ago and he wow. hit the ground running. He said, all right, here's what we're going to do. And I started reaching out to my partners in dispatch as well as responders that I knew that were there Um and said, hey, I'm here, blah, blah, blah. I, you know, my, my dispatch specifically, I said, I can connect you with people from Parkland, with people from Sandy Hook, with people from the STEM, the STEM school shooting out in Denver that have been through it. Because I, I don't care how professional your agency is. No agency is ready for something. So it's a huge resource to be able to tap into talking mm-hmm. to an agency who's been through it with the Uvalde shooting. If they could reach out and talk to a dispatcher at Oakland, that could mm-hmm. really help those Uvalde dispatchers with, Hey, we just went through it. This is what happened. This is what you can expect to happen. This is what you can expect to happen three months after the shooting, six months mm-hmm. after the shooting, we're approaching our one year anniversary. Um, mm-hmm. the, the events that are going to re-trigger your responders Uh, When Mm -hmm. I reached out to uh, some of the responders down in Parkland, they even said that seeing the Oxford shooting all over the news triggered a lot of their responders again. So Mm -hmm. their trauma was rehashed by seeing that Oxford was going through it. So Mm -hmm. I I specifically reached out to my my dispatch family and said, hey, I have these resources. Um, I want to connect you with them so that we can all get through this together. They've been where you are sitting now. Mm. And as great an agency as that is, like I said, nobody is 100% prepared for something like this. You can't be because the human brain, I don't think works that way. Even though Mm. you, you try to prepare yourself for worst case scenario, there's worst case scenario. And then there's evil coming into your life. Mm. And it feels different. So thankfully I was able to connect you know, to connect my dispatch family with some um, 
they don't want to be called therapy dogs, but they're first, they're specifically for first responders. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a group that responded to Vegas and to Mm -hmm. uh, Parkland and to um, uh, Sandy Hook for the Mm -hmm. responders specifically. So Mm -hmm. I kind of played the, the role of the bridge between resources and responders. And then that, that, extended into the school family. I was able to connect the uh, high school golf, the girls golf team with Mm. counselors who are specific, specifically trained in juvenile trauma who had worked with the Parkland kids who the Parkland responders Mm. referred me to these therapists. And she did quite a few zoom meetings with the girls golf team as a Mm. whole, and then set up free of charge, of course, set up individual counseling as well. They had one girl who was getting ready to go to to college on a softball scholarship who said she didn't want to play softball again because the sound of the bat hitting the ball reminded her of the gunshots. Wow. So I just kind of put myself in the position of a go-between because I had the resources and I had the relationships with the affected people. And I just connected the two as frequently as I could. And how like amazing is that that we as uh, a community can be responsible for bridging those gaps and creating? Because when you're in it, it's hard to know what you need, right? Like, no matter how good your department is, they're in it just as well. The command staff is in it. You know, everyone's just trying to sort through the weeds and figure out what's next, what's best. They're facilitating victims. They're facilitating resources for their officers, their dispatchers, you know, like, and it's hard to get lost in the shuffle, I would imagine, yeah. navigating an incident like that. So being us individually as dispatchers, I think it's important to realize the power of our own voices and our own resources during these incidents. Like, Absolutely. yes, our command stand should be helping. Yes. But, but if we have knowledge, power, resources that we can connect our agency to, we we should definitely be doing that and voicing those things and getting those folks in touch with the folks they need to in our departments so we can have those resources available to, available to us, especially during critical incidents like this right. one. And I, I think anyone who's been in this industry for any amount of time recognizes that there is still a majority of our coworkers who aren't going to ask for help regardless, mm-hmm. regardless mm-hmm. of what they're feeling, regardless of how bad it's, it's eating them up inside. So for me to go to them and say, I know you didn't ask, but here, I like to mm-hmm. think that maybe I opened a couple of doors that would have otherwise remained shut. I had mm-hmm. one deputy and it's, it's a funny story because when I worked with this man, I could not stand him. I thought he was rude. <laughs> I thought he was short on the radio. I thought he was snarky. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then I heard about his specific experience in the school that day. And I drove to the substation that he worked out of. And we saw each other and both burst out in tears and stood there and Mm -hmm. hugged each other for a solid five minutes. Mm. And that's a man that, to tell you what, if he was in a crosswalk, I probably wouldn't have slowed down. (laughs) But we just connected on the human level because he was hurting. Mm -hmm. 
and just standing there hugging him from a dispatcher that he had no love loss for either. Just yeah. standing there <laughs> hugging him made an impact. Mm-hmm. And now if he were to call me up and say, Hey, I need to talk. Can you come to the station? Yep. I'm there in 10 minutes. And this is, this is a wow. deputy that, like I said, I could not absolutely stand. <laughs> so but crazy, right? That trauma. Mm-hmm. And, and I put my personal feelings aside as did he. And we just stood there and we stood there as responders sharing a trauma. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes, you know, we need to know it's okay to be vulnerable, right? right. Oh, yeah. Especially the folks in the field. Um, Absolutely. Because, you know, like there's, you know, I think there's something to say, like with first responders, like have friends outside of the first responder field because you need that break. But then there's also the idea like no one else is going to get it the way another first responder is going to get it, you know? And some of the stuff that we experience is so ugly that you a lot of times feel like if you talk about it with someone who's not first responder family, that it's going to be burdensome. Mm -hmm. You don't want to explain some of the horrors that you've heard Mm -hmm. to people whose lives are untouched by ugliness like that. Mm -hmm. It's, it's true. I, (laughs) I listened to my, my friend from um, high school, him and his cousin started a podcast um, and it's called alcohol and anxiety. Shout out to alcohol anxiety. If you want something a little more, um, cutthroat, a little more, just, you know, <laughs> honest, like they're, they're doing it. They're being honest with their experiences currently. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I just really enjoy sometimes you have to talk about just going through it, yeah. like being in it. Like I think in the dispatch world and in the first responder world, um, we are all for healthy ways of coping healthy ways of, you know, and we, and a lot of times the conversation is kind of after we figured it out, (laughs) you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And we want to give back. We want to help folks not be in it in a negative way. Uh, But there is something to say that there are plenty of first responders that are in it in a, in a negative, in a negative way, trying to figure out how to navigate that we're not aware of. Yeah, you know, they they clock in, they clock out, they go home, they pour a drink, and we don't know they're having that tough time, yeah. you know? Um, so just creating those spaces, even with people, like you said, that you you wouldn't slow down uh, if they were crossing the street for, I think goes a long way, yeah. especially in this line of work. Absolutely. And the fact that with the severe understaffing levels that we're seeing across the country, mm-hmm. something as simple as the fact that that deputy was expected to show up for his shift the next morning, having yeah. just seen this mass casualty, those dispatchers didn't mm-hmm. get to not show up for work the next day because there was nobody to take their place. So yeah. you, had to, you had to intervene quick on the fly and as best you could. So that's that's why I think sometimes it's easier to have outside help. Some people may have thought I was too pushy, but I also 
looked at the situation as, guess what? I don't have to sit at the radio in that same room tomorrow. So I can come in yeah. on your lunch break and just sit and talk with you about anything other than that and just be a distraction, be something other than that school shooting for you to talk about that day or, mm -hmm. you know, just provide some sort of distraction. Or even if you want to cope with using alcohol, cool, I'll come over and I'll bring a six pack. But when we're done, we're going to talk about it. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know, and I, I think that's, I, you know, it's something I really didn't, didn't consider. And it's probably because I'm in it, you know, is that, you know, you're right. It's, it's not only that if this event happens on a Monday, yep. on your Monday of their work week, you're expected to be there Tuesday. And you're right. There is no, uh, no one to come in really, especially if your dispatch center is extremely short there's no one to come and fill your burden. And more, I think more importantly, and I think we deal with this as a whole with our shortages in our centers is that we don't want to put it on somebody else right. to come in and take that time um, because we know they're dealing with the same type of stuff we are. Yep. And, you know, I'm a big advocate for if you have the time and you need the day, take it. Yep. Um, and, you're right. Like at a, at a major incident, there's, even if I'm struggling, I'm going to want to show up the next day. Like there's yeah. nowhere else I'm going to rather be. And yeah. I, I agree completely. If you need the time, take it. But when you have a, a, a take Oakland, for instance, the day of the shooting, they had, they were budgeted, I believe for 80, 82 dispatchers. And I think they had 56 bodies actually working at Ooh. that time. Their, yeah. their minimum on day shift, I think, was 17 or 18. What happens if 15 of those 17 or 18 said, I need the time, I'm going to take it? Then what do you do? You can't, emergencies don't stop happening in Commerce Township because of a school shooting in Oxford. In fact, I think they saw the opposite. We had a huge spike in threats being called in, threats being made online. The very next day, the same deputies that responded to Oxford had to had to respond to a shooting one township south, not even four miles. There was a shooting at a medical facility. Hmm. But again, they just dealt with Oxford. And then the very next day, another shooting call comes out. Hmm. How do you deal with that? Yeah. Well, you just you just keep going. And then, you know, it's just. It's just so tough. And I think it's, I think it's something that we like we're doing now as we're talking about it, we're trying to figure out the best way to respond um, and kind of have those safety nets set up right before events occur. Cause it's, it's the whole, it's not a matter of if it's when and to what scale, right. Is right. it going to be a mass shooting in a downtown area? Is it going to be a school shooting? Is it going to yeah. be, uh, you know, a drive-by shooting is, you know, a fatal car accident. Like what, what, it, when is it going to happen and to what level is, yeah. is it going to occur? Cause the emergency will, it's going to drop. Yeah. It's going to drop in your ear. It's going to hit your screen, like whatever it is, it, it will happen. So how do we prepare our centers, prepare ourselves, prepare our command staff to be able to provide resources for us um, so we can continue to show up the next and day. That's why I've chosen to kind of champion this cause 
and to encourage my responders and my community members and the people who went to the school and, you know, to, to go ahead and, and let yourself feel it mm. and accept help now, it, you know, even if it's talking with me via text message one night for one of my dispatchers that was in the room taking phone calls, they received over a hundred cell calls from inside the school alone that day. How do you hang up on a terrified kid? Well, you have to, you, you, you have to triage your calls and move mm -hmm. on, mm -hmm. but ask for help, feel it, accept help. Even if you didn't ask when it's offered, as opposed to two years from now, God forbid, we have responder suicides spike and everyone stands around saying, Oh, I wish I would have known something was wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, they saw dead kids in a hallway of a school. How do you think that they yeah. would respond to that? That's going to affect them. Mm -hmm. Oakland did a really good job of mandating debriefing mm -hmm. and it, it, it erased the stigma of asking for help. Because even the strongest, most macho of us could say, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. The department's making me go to debriefing mm -hmm. and then go into debriefing and talk about it and, and come out of it going, OK, yeah, maybe that did mess me up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So the mandated debriefing, I think, is a great cover that an agency mm -hmm. can provide for its people that aren't willing to vocalize their need for help. Yeah. It's very true. Very, very true. Would you say that, um, well, what other resources do you think, because um, you mentioned Wayne Friedman and you went to that that conference. Can you tell us a little bit about for folks who are looking for actual resources to help prepare um, their center if, if they ever have an event such as that, the conference you went to, kind of the folks who are talking on this, this topic and the information they're sharing. Um, reach out online. Facebook has become a, a wonderful way to connect with people that you normally would not have access to across the country. Go to professional mm -hmm. conferences, network, and soak up every bit of training, whether it's on school shootings, whether it's on the fentanyl crisis, whether it's on customer service and dispatch. You perform the way you train. Mm. Um, at Oakland, a lot of times we didn't get as much training as I would have liked to have seen. Now with my new agency, anytime they put out a list of training saying, Hey, is everybody, is anybody interested right here? This girl, I'm interested in everything you will send me to. And I <laughs> soak up everything. Like I said, I've got 20 years plus on the job. If you can teach me something new that I can use later, show me. And, and the, the ability to network with other 911 professionals is incredible. And I think the huge push to classify us all as first responders is incredible. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was a guest speaker at Wayne's conference in South Carolina in April, and I connected with a bunch of amazing people that mm -hmm. I never would have met if I had stayed within Michigan and just kind of stayed within my own group of local dispatchers. Um, mm -hmm. you, might, you might have to foot the bill and, and pay your own way to a conference, but I promise you what you will get out of it is going to be worth so much more than any amount of money you spent to get there. Mm -hmm. So just train, 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 have the tough conversations with your partners specifically my agency, the minimum in dispatch is two. Mm. 
I've had the conversation. Okay. Say the phone rings and that next phone call that we pick up is a school shooting. What are we going to do? Hmm. You know, it's an uncomfortable conversation, but you need to have it Mm -hmm. because that that may take the edge off of some of the shock Mm -hmm. when it it happens. So train, 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 Mm -hmm. train, train. And then when you think you're sick of training, train some more. Exactly. I think it's so true. Like this year it's, it's been my goal to connect and, you know, let's talk dispatch, you know, virtually bring together folks to have these conversations so I can learn um, and other people can learn as well. Um, I think it's a really good time to be a dispatcher. I think we're starting to be pushed to the forefront a lot more than we have been in the past. Um, so hopefully our numbers and shortages will start going down, down, down. Right. Uh, but I went to like APCO for the first time um, this past, a couple months ago, mm-hmm. and just talk about a great experience, right? Connecting with different dispatchers, listening to different, all sorts of different kinds of speakers um, on topics that are just so relevant to dispatch specifically, mm-hmm. which I think sometimes departments can um, blanket us into training that they send our officers into or um, our other uh, responders into to just check a box. And it's mm-hmm. like, this has nothing to do with yeah. how I interact with mm-hmm. folks who are calling us. So being really intentional, I think as departments, as department heads of finding these trainings and these resources that are more specific to dispatchers. I think one thing that I think um, I would like to be trained on more and get more training on is kind of CNT type of tools and ways, because honestly, especially at bigger agencies, until I can pass the phone off to the officer who's CNT trained on a barricaded subject, guess who's doing it? (laughs) You know what I mean? And we just need more and more and more and more training on dealing with these high priority situations Mm -hmm. because we're the ones who get them until we let someone else know that it's happening. Well, and we've all heard tapes, whether it is in a training class or on the news where you cringe when you hear how that tape played out and how that such, and you just think, Oh, I don't want that to be me. Exactly. Another thing that you gain by going to these trainings and especially these national conferences is you meet dispatchers who are excited about the job. It's so easy. Like we, we touched on the personnel shortage and, and the frustrations that a lot of people have within their own centers. And, and it's natural to be frustrated with mm. with how things are run at a center necessarily if it's not if it's not as if it's not operating at the level that you think it should be and you have a, a manpower shortage and you're getting forced to overtime and then you know the the negative starts to kick in and then morale goes down once you go to these conferences these are people who love being 911 dispatchers and that's mm. as contagious as the negativity And say you go to one of these conferences and you meet all these amazing people and you go back home and you have a hard day. Mm -hmm. Connect with one of the people you connected with at the conference. Mm -hmm. 
difference. Remember why they were, you were excited, why you decided to do this job or why you've decided to stick with this job for 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. That's why, you know, I, I try to put my information out there as much as possible on Facebook, at conferences, at trainings. And I say, if you need me, I don't care if it's 3 a.m. or in my case, 11 a.m. because I'm a midnighter. Call me, email me. I will respond. And if I can't help you, I will connect you with someone who can. Mm. Because even though you're a dispatcher in Utah, officer department, you're still my family. You're still doing the mm-hmm. same job that I do. You're still struggling with a lot of the same things that I struggle with. And being the forgotten portion of the first responder family so often, if we don't look out for each other, why? who's going to? So true. So, so, so true. Well, that's why and I it's email me, reach out to me. I'm here. <laughs> And we're definitely going to include all the contact information, everything in the video uh, to be able to connect with you because you're right. We do need to be able to connect and grow And these Facebook groups. If you're not in them, get in them because there's so much good information out there. I mean, someone was um, posted kind of like a study guide they created in regards to E&P want to be certified they like there's just so many resources yeah. that people just kind of spew out there that work for them, work for their department mm-hmm. um, that you could pull from and you can create and you can help make better. Um, because really, at the end of the day, we are responsible for the culture that the yeah. cultures that are in our centers. And like you said, it's so easy to jump on the negative train, you know, and be upset about this, that, and uh, that's going wrong in the center, but it's also just as easy to focus on the positive and create good spaces in very small, usually windowless rooms, (laughs) you know? So I I definitely think we need to empower each other, support each other uh, and facilitate spaces where even facilitate spaces where we are creating that culture before the big incident happens. Right. right? Absolutely. You know, absolutely. here in California, we're like waiting for the big earthquake and you know, we're, we're 50 years past due or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I want, I want to plan before yep. the quake hits. I don't want to, I don't want to plan after. So I think in dispatch and these big incidents are going to occur. We need to create those spaces prior to the absolutely. event happening. That's, it kind of breaks my heart on some of the Facebook boards where you see people who will say, I'm an aspiring dispatcher. What advice? Often you see, run, pick another line, yeah. or do something. Else. That breaks yeah. my heart because I do, think, I do think it's very encouraging that the way that our profession is moving, you're starting to mm-hmm. see better contracts. You're starting to see better benefits. You're starting to see dispatch be viewed as a career as opposed to mm-hmm. a job for somebody who was dating an officer and is just going to eat ice cream and answer the phone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not who we are. Highly skilled, highly trained, highly effective mm-hmm. first responders. Mm-hmm. So we need to stop shooting ourselves in the foot as well by saying, oh, you don't want to get into this line of work. Remember why you got into that line of work. And yeah. inspire that person. Maybe that person that was going to hire into your agency 
is going to be the one to, to do the most amount of positive change there. And now you've mm -hmm. convinced them to go be a dental hygienist instead. <laughs> you know? so I, we have enough dental hygienists. We need more dispatchers. Right. <laughs> it's easy for me to sit back and say that because like I said, I was retired for a year and a half. And when I left my first agency, when I retired, I was the picture of burnout. Mm -hmm. I, I would get to work about a half hour early. I'd sit in the parking lot. I'd have to get my mind ready for whatever fight I was walking into that day. Mm. And being removed from it for a year and a half was the best thing I ever could have yeah. done. Because now, 23 years into my career, now I finally found the thing that I'm passionate about, even though it, it stems from a tragedy. This is now my opportunity to champion my career. Mm. And to travel the country and and talk about why dispatch is so wonderful and why we can seriously influence the outcome of these situations mm. so long as we train and talk to each other and stay healthy mentally and know what our resources is what our resources are and and use each other as resources and we can definitely change the outcome of these incidents Mm -hmm. So you'll never hear me tell someone, run, go to a different agency, get the, you know, no, welcome. Come on in. Let mm -hmm. me share with you why this job is great. Mm -hmm. I think so true. Cause I, you know, obviously I am in the, the championing dispatch world and I, I think it's a great career. I think it is, it's, we need more. Um, but I do, I have seen, and I think we've all experienced working with the individual that is just like bringing the room down. And it, if it's not one thing, it's another. And it's like, when are you retiring? Because you're just really like bringing like the good parts about this job. You're just making it like so much harder. You know, I was, the job that was, individual. I was mm -hmm. miserable right before I left. Absolutely mm -hmm. miserable. But I was, you know, we were getting forced three and four times a week. So I mean, sleep deprivation is huge and that's another whole podcast, but I was miserable. And even at that active shooter conference, I had the opportunity to sit with a couple of people from my old agency and the, the one dispatcher was a young kid who I had retired. And I even said to him, I said, you know what? I know that we really didn't know each other before I retired, but if I was ever short with you or horrible to you in any way, I was in such a bad place. I sincerely apologize. And he said, well, you weren't ever horrible to me, but I could tell you were unhappy, but that apology means a lot. Mm. And now, you know, I've talked to him a couple of times since, and I, you can kind of bro it up a little bit. Hey, how's it going? Mm. You know, whereas before I'm sure had he heard my voice on the end of the phone, he'd been like, Oh, great. <laughs> what a witch. But yeah. <laughs> I was that person. So now mm -hmm. I'm trying to champion, like I said, the, the role of dispatch in mass casualties and shootings and champion prioritizing mental health within a dispatch center mm -hmm. because I've been at rock bottom in a dispatch center. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so as we kind of bring it to a close, what would you what advice would you give someone who's experiencing that burnout right now? Like they're 20 years in, 
They're just having to hype themselves up when they pull into the parking lot to not drive away. Um, what advice would you give that person dealing with that internal struggle, struggle at this point in their career? Um, I guess my advice to them is to reassure them that there's nothing wrong with them. This is something that happens with a lot of dispatchers, myself included, the mm-hmm. ebb and flow of the profession is going to happen. But if you're able to self-recognize that you're guilty of some of these toxic behaviors, that you're as a whole unhappy, try to remember why you started doing this job in the first place. Um Like I said, maybe try and go to a conference where you're surrounded with people who I will admit sometimes are a little much to handle. They're so happy about being a dispatcher, but (laughs) connect with people who love what they do. Exchange Mm -hmm. stories. You know, if I could have a personal conversation with every burnt out dispatcher in this country, I would because Mm -hmm. I was you. Now. I acknowledged that that was me. I took steps to correct it. I embraced the fact that I was not the best dispatcher I could have been when I left. And Mm -hmm. I took a step back, reevaluated, reorganized, you know, put myself on a new path, hired into a new agency. And now I feel as excited as I did the year I hired in. I'm back to loving what what I do. So my advice, feel it, feel the burnout and then reach out Mm -hmm. and surround yourself with people who have either been there or people who are so high on dispatch that sometimes it's a little sugary sweet. Listen to their stories. You can't talk to a room full of dispatchers without finding at least one inspiring story. Mm. It's impossible. It's such a phenomenal group of people. It's impossible for you to be in a room and not find someone that inspires you. So true. It doesn't even have to be a physical conversation thread. If someone says something specifically that you connect with, I don't think anybody has a problem with you sending them a personal message saying, hey, your post touched me. This is what Mm -hmm. I'm going through. Dispatchers want to help by nature. That's who we are. Mm -hmm. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me today. So many great great things. I truly appreciate you uh, being willing to be so vulnerable. I mean, that's, it's a tough, it's always tough to talk about like our toughest calls, right? Like the things that are hanging on our hearts the most. Um, So thank you for being willing, for being willing to put that out there um, into the world so people can learn from it. Absolutely. I think it's tougher not to talk about them, to Mm -hmm. be honest. But I I wanted to take a minute and thank you for for creating this platform and for talking about these issues and and putting dispatchers in a spotlight and and for doing what you do. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to kick you out real quick and I'll be right back with you. Okay. All right. Thanks. (laughs) All right, everybody. Another amazing episode. Thank you, Jennifer, for coming on, like I said, and being so vulnerable. Uh, It's, it's tough sometimes to, to create spaces, to be honest with ourselves and honest with each other. Um, I think this was a great episode uh, for dispatch centers to tune into and really uh, 
talk about and prepare for that next big critical incident that could come at any point. Um, so again, thank you guys so much. Make sure to subscribe. And until next time, stay raspy. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Let's Talk Dispatch. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube at The Raspy Dispatcher. Follow us on Instagram and check out Let's Talk Dispatch anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'll see you next time and stay raspy.